Um, <clears throat> as we get started, um, I want to see if I can uh, pick a fight between the generations that are here. Can we do that? Uh, seems like a good way to get started. No, um, in our culture, it seems like today, there's a lot of emphasis on the, the differences between the generations. Um, and my generation, I'm at the very tail end of Generation X. Do we have any Generation Xers in here? A few of us, yeah. <clears throat> Not as many as we need, right? Because we're the best generation, right? I'm right on the cusp of being a millennial, although having worked with uh, millennials and been around millennials, I'm definitely not, I don't belong to their ranks. Um, I can tell I'm making a few people nervous talking about generations. But I think my generation, Generation Xers, you can uh, nod if you agree with me, but we were prepared subconsciously, like inadvertently, we've been prepared our entire lives to find missing people. See, when we were very little, it was peekaboo, right? Where'd they go? Where'd they go? And then it became hide and seek. And then after a while, the, the hiding and the seeking that was training us to find people got a little bit more involved, right? Because when I was younger, we had where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Does anybody remember that one? Yeah, right? So every week, we're trying to find Carmen San Diego. Which city did she go to? Where is she at? Follow the clues. And then in addition to where in the world's Carmen Sandiego, we had Scooby-Doo, right? Figure out who was missing and, and who was the bad guy underneath the mask. And like I said, from a very small age, I think we were being trained to find missing people. And then as we got older, the shows changed with us. So does anybody remember Unsolved Mysteries, right? When that music would come on, I would instantly be freaked out, but I couldn't stop watching that show. Was it Richard, Richard Stack? Is that the... Robert Stack, yeah. Um, but again, as a, even as a, as a younger person, I was being trained to find missing people. I think it's something they just expected our generations to have to find lost people, I think was what it was. Um, and then it went on from there. There's shows called Missing Persons, Without a Trace, Disappeared, The First 48 Hours. Like, we're being entertained by finding missing people. Um, and I don't know what, where, where that's going, but I just feel like that's something that is deliberately being done to, to our generation. Like from the time we were a bitty baby to, you know, now we're being trained subconsciously to find missing people. Um, I say all that to say this. In our scripture today that Paul just read, um, Mary went looking for Jesus, and even when she found him, she didn't find him. Even when she ran into him, even when she found the one she was looking for, she didn't realize it was him. And, and despite all my training and our training as Gen Xers and probably millennials and some other folks, um, despite all of our training, we probably wouldn't have found Jesus right away either. And the reason she had a hard time, the reason Mary couldn't find Jesus, even though he was right there, was because he didn't look like Jesus. <clears throat> he looked like someone else. I brought my water bottle because I've got a scratchy throat thing happening today. Um, eventually, though, Mary figures out that it's Jesus in front of her. She realized that this stranger, this person she thought was the gardener, she realizes that this is Jesus. Now, this seems like a really strange occurrence. I mean, she's known Jesus. She's followed him. She's heard him teach. Um, she's had this close relationship with him for a long time, and here he is right in front of her, and she doesn't even recognize him. And it might sound like a really weird thing, but it happens again. 
a little bit later on in the story, Jesus is walking with two of his followers, talking to them about the events of the crucifixion, and they don't realize that they're walking and talking with Jesus. And they, it isn't until Jesus breaks bread with them that they know that it's him. So again, it's such a strange occurrence. These people that knew Jesus before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, didn't recognize him afterwards, even though he was right there. So what is going on here? What do we do with that fact? What do we do with the idea that, that these people that knew Jesus really well beforehand didn't recognize him afterwards? Is this just one of those moments where we say, well, if God's mysterious, God works in mysterious ways, and just move on? I mean, that works. I mean, we can do that if we want to. <clears throat> but I think there's something to be learned from this. I think there's something for us as the church today. But to understand that moment where Mary recognizes Jesus for the first time after the resurrection, we first must understand that Christianity is a story. Right? Our faith is a story that we enter into. More than it is a, a list of rules or a list of ideas that we agree with. But it's a story that we enter into. Easter Sunday is a huge part of that story. Today is a big part of that story. But if we don't understand the story, or if we get the story wrong, then our understanding of Easter can be a little distorted. We can misunderstand what Easter means and what the Bible actually is trying to teach us about it. And so the Gospels, the, the, the stories of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these books in our Bible, um, they're stories of a man named Jesus who is exalted to be king of God's kingdom. That's the whole story of the Gospels. It's this, whether it's, it's you know, in, in Matthew that starts with Jesus as a baby or it's Mark that starts with Jesus as a little bit older. Um, the details aren't exactly the same between all the Gospels, but the, the overarching story is this, this man that was real flesh and blood becomes king, is exalted, is, is lifted up, anointed as king of God's kingdom. He's the king of, of above all other kings. He's the Lord who rules over all other lords, right? He, he gathers people into his kingdom. This is the, the story of Jesus and his gospel. And this King Jesus who's gathering people into his kingdom, who's inviting people in, he's not doing it based off of who's earned it. The invitation isn't merit-based. He's not inviting the most powerful people. He's not inviting the wealthiest. He's not inviting the people with the best status. Rather, this king who's inviting people into his kingdom says, any who should want to can come. Any who, who, who desire to come are welcome to be part of his family, to share in his great royal banquets, these feasts of the kingdom, to live as citizens of God's kingdom. And he teaches that in this kingdom you will live according to the will of God, according to the will of our Father. In his kingdom we live according to the ethics and values of God according to the teachings and the life of Jesus. King Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of God is near, it's at hand. And what he means by that, again, kingdom isn't a place that you can go to. Kingdom, the, the, the root word for kingdom is the reign or rule, right? It means the authority. It means that the world is being shaped 
the way that God wants it to be shaped, that, that things are organized and ordered according to God's will and God's way, that the way God says something is, is actually how it is. And Jesus says God's kingdom is a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of joy. It's a kingdom that is, is shaped by God's perfecting love that creates unity amongst all who belong to it. And King Jesus wants everyone to come. All are invited to be citizens in this great kingdom. And so the gospel of Jesus is not only an announcement that Jesus is on the throne. It's, it's definitely that. It's a, it's a proclamation. King Jesus is ruler of all. But the gospel is also an invitation to put our faith in Jesus, to pledge our allegiance to him, to follow him as Lord, to be a faithful citizen in that kingdom. Again, faith doesn't just mean belief. It doesn't mean there's an idea that I agree with. But faith is a commitment. It's a trust. It's a, a dependence. It's an allegiance to this king. And so we're invited at the announcement that Jesus is king, we're invited to put our trust in that king. But by the time Jesus comes along in the story, people had been trying to live faithfully to the kingdom for a long time. There's people that were called God's people that for a long time tried to live faithfully the way that God wanted them to. I mean, God chose a particular people. This is the story of the Old Testament. God chose his people and said, I'm going to teach you how to live according to my ways. And they tried. They tried to live sincerely and honestly. And God provided judges and shepherds and kings to try and guide them. And they all failed. They failed miserably. They could never live in God's kingdom. At least not for very long. They would disrupt the way that God had planned. They would find themselves not at peace. Not being faithful. They failed miserably. There was always this broken relationship between God and God's people. There was always this disobedience or a tendency to wander, a tendency to rebel. Even those who wanted to live according to this kingdom couldn't do it completely all the time. Because the truth is, and this is how the Gospels tell this story, there was a competing kingdom with a competing ruler. The Gospels call that kingdom the kingdom of this world and they called that ruler of that other kingdom the kingdom of death. They called that ruler death itself. And so the kingdom of this world and the king called death always led to destruction. It always led to violence. It led to war, brokenness, darkness, despair, and suffering of all kind. The kingdom of this world ruled by their ruler called death always led to suffering. And the reason people couldn't live in God's kingdom according to the scriptures is uh, the reason that people couldn't live under and according to the rule of God was this thing called sin. Sin was this thing that just showed up. It broke the allegiance of God's people to God. It disrupted the relationship. It was breaking that relationship between God and God's people. And sometimes the people chose to sin. Sometimes it was, it was deliberate. They just said, forget what God has taught us. We're going to do our own thing. And sometimes the people sinned without even realizing it, just caught up in their tendencies, their fear, their ambitions. But sin in the individual lives and the collective lives of God's people 
always led them away from God's kingdom. You see, sin trapped everyone in this kingdom of the world. Sin trapped everyone under the rule of death. Everyone was a prisoner of sin. And sin always led to destruction, and it always led to the kingdom ruled by death. And so the most important chapter, the most important chapter in this uh, gospel of King Jesus, the most important part of the story in the life of Jesus tells how he overcomes sin, right? How he's going to defeat death and how he's going to free the people from this kingdom that is, uh, that is encaptured them. How is, how is Jesus going to free these captive people from the kingdom of this world so that they could all live in God's kingdom, right? The most important chapter of this story is that Jesus was going to do something so that people could pledge their allegiance to him. They could follow him and live according to God's ways. And Jesus was going to do that so that sin would not draw or tempt people back into the old kingdom. This kingdom ruled by death. Jesus taught that in order to live in God's kingdom, you would have to die and be born again. The hope of being saved The hope of being saved was a new life, this resurrection life in a new kingdom, in the kingdom of God, this this new kingdom that leaves sin behind, that totally defeats it and destroys it, and leaves this kingdom of the world behind as well. Again, salvation was this new life in this new kingdom. It wasn't a better life in the same kingdom. It wasn't a higher standing in that old kingdom. It wasn't a better status in that old kingdom. It wasn't more money in the old kingdom, but it was new life in the kingdom of God. So no matter how successful you were in the kingdom of this world, that kingdom is still ruled by death and is bound to suffering and death. No matter how much money you have in the kingdom of this world, you can't buy your way out. No matter how much fame you have, you can't impress your way out of this old kingdom. No matter how much power you have, you aren't more powerful than the ruler this death that rules that kingdom. You can be a good person, but that's like being the best behaved passenger on a plane that has no wings. Death is the ruler and sin is the gatekeeper that keeps people from leaving this old kingdom. It keeps them from entering into new life in God's kingdom. Today we celebrate the empty tomb. It's the conclusion of the story where Jesus defeats the power of sin and death. (coughs) Jesus just doesn't come back to life. He isn't resuscitated. There was no, you know, CPR performed. He didn't come back to life. He didn't get better. He is resurrected. He is raised to new life, a life that death cannot defeat. And because of this, we, through Jesus, can experience that life, that new life. Sin no longer has the power to keep us from living in God's kingdom. Death no longer has to rule over our lives. We have been freed from captivity in this old kingdom of this world. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of resurrection, 
sin, death, and the kingdom of this world has been overcome. We can live holy in the kingdom of God, and that was Jesus' main message. As he walked the streets of Israel, right, he went from town to town, and he preached, and he did healing, and he taught, you know, values of the kingdom, but his main message was the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is like. He preached about the kingdom. And we can enter into that kingdom. We can be free from the power of sin and death, but the goal is not just to get our sins forgiven. Yes, like we should get our sins forgiven. Let's get that taken care of. Let's get those, uh, that sin debt removed from our lives. But the goal, that's not the end, that's the beginning. The goal is not just to get our sins forgiven, but the forgiveness of sins is what Jesus does so that we can live in the kingdom of God with him. The goal is new life in the kingdom of God. We can experience new life in Jesus, a life of peace, a life of joy, a life shaped by God's perfect love, a life of goodness, a life of beauty. We can experience the life that God intended for us all along. And not only that, but God gathers those of us who have received this new life together into a family called church. Together we live this new life as a community shaped by the kingdom of God, a community shaped by the resurrection of Jesus. Together we can experience the resurrected Jesus that is present in our midst today. We often talk about someday Jesus will return, someday he's going to come back that's one of our hopes as Christians, is one of our primary hopes, the, the return of Jesus. He's going to come and set everything right. But I don't want you to get mistaken. It doesn't mean that he's not already here. It doesn't mean that Jesus is absent from us. The hope we have is for Jesus to come as king and set right in our lives the things that he wants to be set. Um, but it doesn't mean that he is absent even right now. Because we can experience the resurrected Jesus in our midst as we worship him, right? Scripture tells us wherever we gather together in his name, he is there with us. We can experience the resurrected Jesus when we connect with others in Christian fellowship. As we gather in, in Sunday school classes and smaller groups, as we gather around dinner tables and prayer meetings, that as we gather together in Christian fellowship, caring for one another, he is there with us. When we visit loved ones in the hospital, he is there with us. We can experience the resurrected Jesus when we serve others. Jesus tells us in the scriptures that when we take care of those who have needs, we are taking care of him. The church gets to experience this resurrected Jesus. We get to encounter him. We get to have relationship with him even right now. We get to experience the kingdom of God today. <coughs> the church is a sample of what is to come for all of creation. <coughs> oh man. The church is a foretaste. It's a, it's a preview for the rest of the world to see what, what eternity is going to look like. The church is meant to be a glimpse, a trailer, a preview of what life in God's kingdom looks like. So not only do we have... Uh, as the church, the opportunity to experience the resurrected Jesus, 
who invites us to live this new life in the kingdom. Not only do we have that, but the rest of the world has the opportunity to see, to witness, to experience the kingdom of God through us as the church. God is not absent, waiting for things either to get so bad that he has to come back or to get so much better because then he'd be willing to come back. Jesus is not absent sitting back watching to see what we're going to do. The resurrected Jesus is present here right now and in the lives and through the lives of the people that are like you and me. Freedom from sin and death is available to everyone, the scripture tells us. A life of peace, a life of joy, this life shaped by the perfecting love of God. It's available to everyone. The scriptures tell us it's not God's will that any should perish. The scriptures tell us that God loved the whole world, all of creation. Everyone can be freed from the power of sin and death. Everyone can experience this life in the kingdom. Everyone can meet the resurrected Christ today. You might be thinking, though, well, I've been around the church for a while, or maybe I've been a Christian for a long time, and I I don't know if I've ever seen the resurrected Jesus the way that you're talking about. You know, I've never had that experience Mary had. Well, I thought it was the gardener, but it was really Jesus. How do we or how do others in the world experience this resurrected Jesus who leads us in this kingdom, who invites us into new life. How do we experience him? How do we have a relationship with him when we can't see him? I mean, isn't he gone somewhere else? Isn't that why we are waiting for his return? But this brings us back to the scripture story that Paul read for us a few moments ago. Mary went looking for the Jesus that she knew, that she had experienced before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, And he was gone. She couldn't find him. She ran right into him, even talked to him, but she didn't realize it was him because he looked like someone else. He was Jesus, but he didn't look like Jesus. The resurrected Jesus looked just like the gardener. He looked like the guy working, taking care of the the land. And this is the the truth that I want you guys to, to be able to grab a hold of today. We can encounter the resurrected Jesus in our lives every day, but he will look like someone else. (laughs) You're not going to see, walk out the doors from here today and encounter Jesus riding on a donkey wearing sandals and his his garb from 2,000 years ago. I mean, you you might, I'm not going to roll that out, you might encounter Jesus in your French toast or whatever the things that happen, the miraculous things happen. You might. But we can encounter the resurrected Jesus in our lives every day, but that resurrected Jesus is going to look like someone else. He might look like the gardener, or maybe the person who works in the nursery during church. Or maybe he looks like the Sunday school teacher or the food pantry volunteer. Maybe the resurrected Jesus looks like the preschool teacher or the maintenance guy or the greeter at the grocery store. Maybe you will encounter the resurrected Jesus, but he'll look like your next door neighbor. Or maybe he'll look like your coworker across the office. Maybe he looks like the doctor or the nurse that is caring for you and your loved ones. Maybe he looks like the truck driver that's sharing the highways with you. Maybe he even looks like your spouse 
your children or your parents. Maybe you encounter the resurrected Jesus when you talk to the, the server and the wait staff at the restaurant. We can encounter the resurrected Jesus in our lives every day, but he will look like someone else. And this is good news. The church is a community of those who have received new life in Jesus who is gathered together for the specific purpose, the specific purpose of revealing the new life of the kingdom of God into the places where we live. And so the purpose of First Church of the Nazarene in Battle Creek is to live in the kingdom of God in such a way that Battle Creek and the surrounding communities see and encounter the resurrected Jesus themselves. I'll say that again. The purpose of First Church of Battle Creek is to live in the kingdom in such a way that Battle Creek and the surrounding communities get to experience and see Jesus for themselves in us and through us. They see the kingdom of God in their midst. But here's the catch, and there's always a catch. They can't see him in us if we don't make him visible. If our desires, if our comfort, if our preferences are more important than that mission that God has given us, then the world will only see us. They won't see Jesus in us. If our agenda is to make sure that we are lifted up, that we are celebrated, that we get the acknowledgement rather than Jesus being lifted up and celebrated, then the world will only see us, not Jesus through us. If our goal is for people to meet and love us rather than meeting Jesus and loving Jesus, then they will only see us, not Jesus in us. If our desire is for people to think we're great more than we want people to know that Jesus is great, then they will not encounter the resurrected Jesus. They won't know that sin and death has been defeated. They won't know that they have been freed from the kingdom of this world which doomed them to a life apart from God. They won't know the peace and the joy that comes from belonging to God's kingdom and belonging to God's family. Could there be anything more tragic than the resurrected Jesus being present here and now but people not seeing him? I can't think of anything more depressing, more frustrating, more discouraging, more tragic than knowing that Jesus is present in our midst and there are people that cannot see him. Could there be anything more disappointing than a church that's been given the keys to the kingdom of God but choosing to keep the kingdom closed up and locked off because it refused to be humble, to worship and glorify God rather than worship and glorify itself? The tragedy of a church whose priority is itself rather than the kingdom of God. In truth, a church is not really a church unless people can encounter the risen Jesus in it and through it. For the past several weeks, I need another drink real quick. Past several weeks, I've been uh, announcing, inviting anyone who's interested in baptism to come talk to me because I was willing to do baptisms on Easter Sunday morning uh, if we had candidates and um, I'm a bit disappointed to say that we didn't have anyone express interest in that today and it makes me sad because number one it's a direct command from Jesus he says go make disciples and baptize them so kind of falling short a little bit in that area of faithfulness Um, I mean it's our job description so it's a little frustrating there 
Um, despite all our activities and efforts as a church, nobody's being baptized today. But second, baptism is, is, is one of the most important activities in the life of the church. Probably close second behind communion. But I'm also sad today because I wanted to celebrate someone finding new life today. I not only wanted to tell you about resurrection life, I not only wanted to tell you the story about sin being defeated, death being defeated, and new life being revealed in and through Jesus, but I wanted to show you. I wanted you to be able to see it. I not only wanted to tell you about how people could be set free from captivity in the kingdom of this world, I wanted you to see it and experience it and celebrate it. I was hoping you'd be able to see someone go under the water, dying with Christ. I wanted you to see someone come up from the water being raised to new life in Jesus. I wanted you to see someone enter into the kingdom. I wanted to celebrate with the church how our faithful obedience to King Jesus meant new life for those in our community. For much of church history, churches have baptized believers on Easter as a demonstration of the resurrection. And that's, that's not happening today. But today is still a day for celebration for sure. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. It's a day to celebrate. Jesus defeated sin and death. He's freed us from our captivity in the kingdom of this world. Jesus was resurrected and invites us to experience this resurrection life too. His resurrection invites us to experience resurrection as well. Easter is a day to celebrate. It's a day to party. It's a day to eat too much food at breakfast and then take a nap during church. After church, I mean. Um, It's a day to celebrate, but it's also a day that calls us to action. It's a day where celebration turns into proclamation and turns into revelation. Mary, in the scripture story, runs back to the disciples after she encounters Jesus. She runs back to the disciples after she knows that she has met Jesus, the risen Christ, and she uh, runs back to them after meeting this man who she thought was the gardener but turns out to be Jesus. She runs back and says, I have seen the Lord. Her experience with the resurrected Jesus is a celebration that turns into proclamation which turns into action. She goes and she announces it and takes the message to those who need to know. Jesus is in our midst. The resurrected Jesus who defeats sin and death is present amongst us. The resurrected Jesus who is at work freeing captives and breaking chains lives and dwells in us. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. And he sits on the throne of God's kingdom. So today we celebrate the resurrection, this new life, the victory of Jesus. But we are also challenged again to pick up our own crosses. To die to ourselves, to die with Jesus so that we may be raised to new life with him. So that we may be free from sin and death. So that we may uh, help the world encounter Jesus in us and through us. Everyone always has plans and hopes for Easter. These are mine that the people of Battle Creek and surrounding communities would meet us and proclaim the words of Mary. I have seen the Lord. I have met Jesus, but he didn't look like Jesus. He looked like these people over there at First Church. (laughs) But I know it was Jesus because I have found new life. 
I know it was Jesus because sin and death no longer have power over me. I know it was Jesus because I, I know that I met him because I hear him inviting me into this new kingdom. My hope, my prayer, my Easter wish is that our community would say, I have seen the Lord. He looked like someone else. He looked just like you.